Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy back again with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups, and I am here with super producer and sidekick extraordinaire, Alex. (laughs) The extraordinary sidekick is here. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, um, you got a lot going on in your life, don't you? I I got a couple big bike trips about to go out the door. Now, I do this every year. You know this. In in the first two weekends in May, uh, I take two groups of 90 riders out to the western edge of Colorado and put them on their mountain bikes and they will ride for three days and camp for three nights en route to Moab, Utah, which is 150 miles away. Uh, so yeah, we take groups of 90 on this and they ride 150 miles straight to Moab. And then we, you know, of course, shuttle them back. And then the following week, we do the exact same thing over again with a different group. And one of the biggest challenges to that, and this is one of the things I'm starting to work on now, is that we have to bring all of the food for, in this case, roughly 200 people, including staff, uh, which means I have to start shopping about six weeks out to start the accumulation, which will build up and mostly fill my garage. And it is a sight to see. (laughs) It's a towering, towering sight to see. And so I know some places that you like to shop. And our guest here today was a big time investigator at one of these locations. And we can't say what location it is, but we can say it's a little bit like Target, but it's not. Which is good because Target next to us caught on fire. In, it did. in the wildfires that went through. So yeah, Target burned down. So yeah. or a little bit and uh, enough to where you can't shop there anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to have to go to this other location where you're going to have to, um, you know, what's going to happen when you are shopping, you are going to be watched. By whom? By everybody, by the, the man in the sky. And uh, all of it goes back to headquarters in a southern state. Uh-huh. So you need to be careful because we know you're always up to a little bit of something. And uh, our, our guest today, John Hudson, he mm-hmm. um, he was a big time investigator with this company. And he is going to share with us about the biggest fraud loss that he ever saw in why it wasn't prosecuted. Because we know that you, Alex, w- would be prosecuted for your hijinks. But these people went so big that they were embarrassed to admit that it even happened and prosecute. They being the corporation, is that correct? Uh, Yes, the corporation was embarrassed. They were too embarrassed to take it. And you got to think with a big loss like that, it it must have been pretty embarrassing. So this is going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, it it was millions and millions and millions of dollars. Wow. That they figured out how to just walk out of the store with. And, um, you know, the, the most profound thing about that is the fact that they have millions of dollars in the store. Well, it was bit by bit, just a little bit over time. But yeah, yeah they have they run a lot of cash through these big box stores. You know what I bet it was? I bet it was that coin counting machine they keep up in the front. <laughs> Why you know, would anyone put go your there? coins in? And Why would you go there? You could go to the bank. I don't get it. Because it counts the coins for you and then just gives you cash. And I think you give them 
five or ten percent, whatever, you which is worth it to not count it, it. You can go go to the bank and do it for free. But a lot of um, wait, how do you do? You know, you have to take it to them rolled, don't you? It no. has to be pre-rolled. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you do have to roll it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I can just take my jar into this green machine and just dump the jar in, and it counts it and gives me just spits cash out for me. Oh well, it doesn't involve the cash machine. Okay. It involves insiders taking money out, figuring out the system. Well, it's too bad that it wasn't in rubles. The Russian currency. <laughs> the ruble is through the floor now. Because <laughs> as of this morning, the ruble was, yeah, through the floor. It was a, more than 100 per every $1 US dollar. And I think it may end up being a complete catastrophic loss of value in their currency. And we're just, so just for reference, we are like day three of the Ukrainian invasion. Mm -hmm. I really didn't mean to get into this whole current affairs thing, but uh, but here we are. The so idea of, yeah, the idea of the rubles, uh, the ru is it rubles or rupees? I can't remember. I think, I think it's, it's India. Rubles. Yeah, it's rubles. So yeah, their, their currency is going to be next to worthless. And what do they got there? Like half a billion people in Russia? Uh, yeah, they got some big problems in Russia. Yeah, they got some problems uh, And this, this particular company had some big problems in a semi-foreign country. That's mm. where this big fraud took place. Was that Alabama? No, a little more foreign than Alabama. Uh, mm -hmm. Louisiana, Mississippi. Mm -mm. A little no? more foreign. Okay. Just Tennessee? A, just a little, Tennessee is strange. A There's some more weird exotic, people in Tennessee. A little more <laughs> okay, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk to our guest, John Hudson. He And he's going to tell us all about his interrogation techniques, which you're going to be able to use in any part of your life. And it's really going to help me next time I talk to you about anything. And it'll also help me lure people. We've mm -hmm. already been over that, though. We don't need to go back to it. Oh, yeah. It'll, it'll help with, with all of your hijinks. Well, as you can tell, my brain is a little short-circuited today. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to offer. And you know what I really need, Tracy? Coffee. Yes, I need coffee. It's that mid-afternoon slump, and I need a cup of coffee. Plus, we got to pay for making this thing happen. Mm -hmm. So how can we do that? Oh, just go to the link in the show notes, buy me a coffee and you can donate five bucks or whatever you want to the show. Now we might actually buy coffee with it or we might pay the bills, <laughs> but every, every dollar really helps. So yeah, just buy me a coffee.com. And it's, uh, you know, it's just a little donation to the show about the same as a cup of coffee. So we appreciate uh, the support from our listeners out there so we can keep this thing going. And it's, it's amazing to see that you guys are out there and that you, you know, so many people have generous hearts and want to keep this thing up and running and, and like hearing from us. So I love getting that gratification, especially once I'm caffeinated. Exactly. And you do better when you're caffeinated. Far, so. far better. Right now I'm just limping along. I'm on crutches. Yeah. Well, it's really the donation's a little bit of a public service. Oh, okay. Sounds <laughs> good to me. Alex. Bring it on. <laughs> with that, with that, we are going to go to John Hudson. Be ready for this. It is amazing. Peace out, Alex. It's Tracy. I am back again with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And here's the deal, y'all. You cannot go anywhere without being watched. I'm talking working, driving, and especially shopping. Uh, big box stores have their eye on you, and it's just when you think you got them outsmarted that you're busted or not. <laughs> so um, I have a super cool guest today, but now what what happened? Because you, you were at a big box store as an investigator, like like a, like a 
big investigator in corporate headquarters, a store that everyone has been to. And y'all had a little, a little trouble with uh, internal fraud uh, on a lot of levels, but there was one story with some coupons. Can you get into that? Yeah, sure. We, we had a situation uh, and this was actually in another country where uh, we were trying to get some coupons off the street. They were trying to get a lot of coupons that had been on the street for many years. I, obviously, I can't go into the details, but what they were doing is they were allowing people to make purchases with those coupons and people knew they, they were going to expire. So they were just coming in in droves. And when I say droves, I mean hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars worth of these coupons but there was no inventory system for them and no tracking system. So as they came in, they were put in stacks in the back office. Well, what one of our enterprising uh, folks did in the back office is what they started doing is they would make sales during the day and they would make cash sales too. So what they would do is take the cash out of the drawers and then they would put, they would go to the back room, grab these coupons and put the same amount of coupons back in the till. So accounting wise, everything balanced out. You had the same amount of sales. You didn't have the right cash, but you had the exact same amount of sales and you had the tender to cover it. And uh, this person did it uh, for a couple of years and it was, the the amount was astronomical. I mean, it was, it was in the tens of millions of dollars that they ended up taking. And, uh, and they, they would actually take the cash out at night in garbage bags. They would fill garbage bags with cash and take it out to their car and that's how they got caught when it opened well because di- didn't you tell me they they dropped it or something or or no. did the bag get, those garbage bags aren't that strong right the person carrying it out was trying to load it in their car and when they went to heave ho it up into the car it busted open and cash fell out on the back of the car and now interestingly so you'd think they're caught right because they just dumped cash in the parking lot no they threw it all in and they got in the car and they just never went back. <laughs> oh, they never went back. Oh, so they never. But now, didn't y'all have a, a read on like you were looking at watching this, weren't you? Or what? it wasn't news when it. No, broke, no, was it, it? no, it, it wasn't. It just it was one of those things where they got away with it. And uh, and, you know, I don't know because I don't sit up in the corner offices. Uh-huh. I would imagine for the news reasons, it wasn't made an issue. And so basically they got away with it. Yeah, because it was just too much. It was too embarrassing. So um, my guest today is John Hudson, who um, it, we got to be uh, just pals on, on LinkedIn, I think talking about Corvettes. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, so you were an investigator at a big box store up until recently, because I have been waiting for you to leave so we could chat. <laughs> right. And, and so tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your background, um, what you've done, wh- what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, well, I started out, I got out of the Marine Corps and didn't know what I want to do. Like a lot of folks, I uh, wanted to go into business. So somebody said, well, get an accounting degree. That, mm-hmm. that won't hurt you. Uh, uh, the only thing I learned getting an accounting degree for sure is that I did not want to be an accountant. So that, that poses an issue when you get to graduation. So I saw an ad for forensic accountant. Now, I didn't know what a forensic accountant was, but I thought it sounded really cool. So I thought I should should look at that. And it it worked really well because it ended up being some financial accounting, but a lot of cost accounting. But what it really was is it was using accounting information for investigations, but not being an accountant, not creating, not doing balance sheets and books and records, but using that information 
for investigations. And so I did that for about 20 years on and off, both uh, for uh, usually commercial insurance claims and litigations. Got it, right. I was kind of a valuation guy. You know, if you got ripped off and you needed to know how much for the insurance company, I could go in and quantify that. Or if your business burned down, you need to know how much money you lost. I would do that. But doing that over 20 years, I got where I really, I really wanted to do more of the investigative type of work. I mean, I, ha- I had some of that, but I really wanted to get into it. So I kind of reinvented myself over a period of a year. I made a list. I, I, I actually made up a Word document of what I want. It says, I want oh. and what I wanted out of a career and a job. Mm-hmm. And it took me one, three days less than one year to get exactly what I wanted. That's not too bad though. Reinvention is not easy. No, no. And and, well, I say a year, but I was doing things in the background ahead of time, you know, getting a different degrees to kind of Mm -hmm. rebrand myself. And so I I did that. And then I got into the corporate side of investigations and it was absolutely fascinating. It was eye-opening. I got to work with absolutely incredible people, people who had worked for the IRS, the secret service, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we had a CIA person at one point and just this incredible people with these incredible uh, investigation backgrounds and every tool and toy you could imagine and every type of expert you could imagine to help us with our investigations, computer experts, data analysts, just everything. And so that's what I did for the last five years. And now, uh, unceremoniously, uh, I relocated during COVID. So I'm back up near my dad in uh, suburban Chicago, and I'm starting up my uh, own firm. I'm going to do a little bit of the investigative type work, but it's a smaller market. So I have to expand. I'm going to do some business performance consulting and things like that. As well. Oh, cool. Okay. So when when you got to the the big box world, what were you most surprised at? I guess, because um, you probably had a really good uh, feel for, okay, yeah, there's a lot of fraud, but di- like what, what was the, because you didn't just do fraud either, right? You did all kinds right. of investigations. Right. So what were you most surprised at with fraud? And then we'll get into other stuff too. Well, I, I think, I think what I was most surprised with is when I think retail fraud, I think shoplifters. Yeah. I think people picking up stuff, carrying it out the door or employees picking it up and carrying it out the back door. Mm-hmm. But I don't think about all of the, all of the things that go on just in a corporation, regardless whether it's retail or anywhere that you've got, you know, you've got people who are cutting secret deals with vendors, getting kickbacks, you know, mm-hmm. you have to look into that. You've got, uh, you've got, we actually did other investigations too, outside of fraud, like harassment and retaliation mm-hmm. and all that. And so I guess what really amazed me is just the volume of what goes on in yeah. a large company. And especially the company I work for, their commitment to combating that. I mean, what really blew me away wasn't so much what was going on, but their processes for investigating and dealing with it. It is a very regimented, strict process with planning and reports that need to be written in specific ways. And at first, you know, I was kind of from the consulting world. So that was like putting a bridle on a horse. I was fighting that a little bit. I didn't like it. But, But then after I learned why, and got it. And that you could pick up any of our reports in one read, just like the other with the mm-hmm. same components and everything. I, that, that's what really amazed me is how structured it was. Cause I came from kind of an unstructured, you know, thinking outside of the box, every mm-hmm. case is different world. Mm-hmm. That was really amazing to me. Well, so, so here, here's what's, 
uh, I guess not publicized that much, but we're going to talk about it, uh, is there's a, there's like a, a limit with these big buck stores, like below that, they don't, they kind of don't care. They just kind of let you get away with it. And then there's that upper limit, which we talked about as well, which is, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars where they, it's too embarrassing. So h- how much of that lower limit, like, can, can you reveal what it is and, and how much stuff really goes on down there? Cause like a couple TVs, if someone walks with a couple TVs, it's, you just kind of like, Oh, well. Right. Well, I would say, I, I would say I didn't actually see a lower limit. Now, let yeah. me, let me be clear in that, you know, I worked in corporate internal investigations. Mm-hmm. So we have a plethora of different types of investigators and we dealt with the most serious, mm-hmm. you know, the largest and the most egregious. But to me, it was really more of an, it, it was more of an ethics mm-hmm. thing is our company really focuses on ethics and they care far less about the amount versus what you do. Oh, wow. Okay. And so what they, what they try to do to their credit is they try to stop any kind of creep like uh-huh. that, you know, because once you get away with it the first time, then it's easy to justify it the going. second time, the third time. And when somebody sees you do it, then they start doing it. So it was really just kind of a nip it in the bud kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, now I will say, as far as accountability goes, it doesn't mean you're going to get fired mm-hmm. the first time you get caught doing something that that's where the discretion comes in. And, you know, we send it over to our partners in ethics. We send a report of our investigation and someone from ethics reviews it and, and uh-huh. see where they think it should fall on the mm-hmm. scale. And that's where, that's where, you know, some subjectivity can come in. Are you just going to get, you know, written up at what level? Are you going to get terminated? Things like that. So, so what was the biggest problem? Is it, is it outside attacks or inside? Would you think? Um, I think the outside attacks get the most news Mm -hmm. and because if you work for a large retailer, you know, it's a million small crimes, you You know, every time somebody steals something, but inside what you see is the fewer issues, but they tend to be larger scale when you find them. Uh At least that was my experience is the people inside get really emboldened. And once the, I'm sure you've seen it a million times, once they start, it's a drug that they can't quit. It is. It's a rush. And I've talked to a lot of uh, convicted criminals and that's just exactly what they say. They're like, I need my dopamine hit and boy, there yeah. they go writing themselves a check. So um, besides this one with the coupons, what's the another just amazing story where you're like, how on earth did this guy think they could get away with it? Well, it was, uh, we had we we have expensive assets as you can imagine. Yeah, you got and, jets and car, right. fleets of vehicles, and fleets and, and everything. Yeah. and I just I don't understand why people you know think that they could that those are their personal toys. Uh-huh. You know when they're not, and uh, when they get caught using them, I don't understand why they think they're going to lie their way out of it either. Uh-huh. I mean that that's my favorite part. I mean I don't. Let me back up a second and say one of the things that I felt different than my counterparts uh-huh. in an investigative world is I'm a pretty empathetic guy. Mm-hmm. I understand that horrible things happen. You made a really bad decision. And a lot of folks don't do that. But uh, I, I just don't understand why they think that you can just come in and lie because then it's fun for me. Then it's, uh-huh. it's not personal, but y- y- you assume that I'm some sort of fool and mm-hmm. don't know what I'm doing. So we're, we're going to go with that. I'm going to let you keep thinking that we're uh-huh. going to play this out. <laughs> and, and I really enjoy that. I, I don't understand why they think they can lie, 
But I'll tell you what, once again, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. What doesn't blow me away is some, some highly paid person doing this egregious thing. It's why do you lie in your expense account for five dollars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why do that? For That's five, what it's not I worth don't it for understand. Twenty bucks. Yeah, right, right. If you make two million dollars a year, why are you lying about mileage on your expense account? Uh-huh. That's what blows me away. Okay, you want to use a big asset, take money. Okay, yeah, I get that kind of, but uh, you know, I, I I just do not understand that, and that's one of one of my little uh, things that I like to push too, is when people say, "Hey, I want to find the crime, you know, the big big stuff in my business," and I say, "Okay, well, first thing you need to do is go get me your executive's expense accounts." Well, why do you need our executives expense accounts? Uh-huh. We don't care about that. I said, I don't care about it either. But what it's going to show me is I'm going to find out who's lying on their expense accounts. And that's going to show me who's entitled and doesn't think that the rules apply to them. Oh my God. So what's, what's the biggest one you found that way that, that led to other, other, I guess, findings? Well, uh, what, what happened is we had somebody who was in sales and mm-hmm. they had an expense account and we saw caught them fudging their expense account. And so we looked more deeply into them and they were, they were taking kickbacks from, from, from uh, vendors in the forms of vacations, condos, trips. Oh man, really? I didn't know kickbacks were that cool. I mean, uh, as oh, yeah. far as like the benefits, I thought it was just mostly like fishing trips and stuff like that. Like if you sold lures, it can be, it mm-hmm. can be. And we, and we get into those as well, but mm-hmm. you asked for the big ones. Oh, the, well, now where did they go? <laughs> uh, they went to Hawaii. Oh, they, just they once or a bunch? Uh, just one time that we know of their whole family. Uh-huh. Facebook is a wonderful thing. If you're going to commit crimes too that involve bribery, don't post your vacation pictures on Facebook. Well, you know, I was, uh, um, I've done a lot of volunteer work and I was the president of a board uh, of our board at the National Speakers Association here in Colorado, the Colorado chapter. And I had someone give me all these reasons why she couldn't come to the board meeting. And you know, what? like there was a guy painting her house and she had to be there. And then, you know, what showed up on Facebook is her trip to the mountains. I was like, "Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got it. Did I ever say anything to her? No, because it wasn't worth it. But uh, she got minimized pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> but what you'll find with those kind of folks is it just starts cascading. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. when it's like pulling the the thread on the sweater. Mm-hmm. You know, so you go to the go to the expense reports, find out who's not being honest there, and then go to their business side and find out where else they're not being honest. Wow. Okay. So then, how else are you uncovering this? internal fraud. We got expense reports. That's pretty easy. What else? What's another low hanging fruit? Well, the first and foremost is, is through the ACFE fraud examiners Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. group. Everything I'll tell you is tips. That's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Tips, tips. Uh, It's, uh, it's the person who didn't get invited on the trip. Oh, it's the person who didn't go out on the fishing trip. Uh Like you mentioned, the one who actually had to stay back and work while the other three people went out on the fishing boat. And then they come back and they report that person Uh and we call them in for interviews. And only one of them isn't sunburned. Oh, (laughs) and, and so the, it's the people. And, and that, that I think is the key message that organizations should put out is, Mm -hmm. you know, I know people get this, well, you know, it's none of my business, what somebody else does. They're just stealing a little bit. It doesn't affect me, but it does. It does because as people start stealing from companies, it can affect the company's performance and you could ultimately lose your job over it. 
mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it'll have adverse financial impacts. So they are affecting you. And uh, I, I think that, you know, the, that that's the key. And, and that's where most of our things came from. It would be, uh, you know, I mentioned suppliers. It'll be one supplier saying, hey, this buyer is getting really cozy with this other supplier. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden our orders have gone down. Mm-hmm. So that launches an investigation. You know, why do, are we switching suppliers? Why are, you know, what's changed suddenly? Mm-hmm. And so the tips come in from fellow employees, vendors, or even just outside people. Wow. Okay. So uh, what's another tip that you got that led to something like a, like a find? Oh, let's see. Oh, so many. Well, uh, well, uh, just that. Uh, I mean, we, we have contractors who come in and mm-hmm. do work, you know, in the facilities. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I was thinking about when I just brought that last thing up. One of the contractors con- called us and said, hey, you know, we, we've done this much work for you for the last 15 years per year, like clockwork. Uh-huh. And now all of a sudden this new person comes in and we don't get any, we don't get any. Uh, mm-hmm. well, well, we're getting some, but we're getting far less. Mm-hmm. And so then we went and looked into it and that's exactly what happened, that they had a personal relationship with one of the other vendors and weeks after they came in, you know, half of their, half of the, the complaining vendors uh, work went to their competitor. So then let's, let's talk about this. How are you going to uncover a personal relationship? Are, are you just looking on Facebook and be like, oh, they've been pals for 15 years. That must be it. Or is there a way to like prove that or like well, I mean, the lines get fuzzy there, don't they? Sure. Sure. And, and a big thing is, uh, is through the emails and mm-hmm. communications, emails, chats, and everything. When you're in corporate America, I mean, everyone listen, there's no privacy on your computer. If you're on a right. corporate computer right now, we can look and see everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, sometimes you'll get the smoking gun, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll get the admission where they're like, Hey, you know, we're going to go do this, this Saturday, looking yeah. forward to seeing you. Uh-huh. That could happen. But a lot of times what you'll see, and I know that this is subtle is you lay out all of their communications with all of the vendors. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have our really smart brainiacs do, uh, they, they do, with words, what I do with numbers as mm-hmm. a forensic accountant, yeah. they go analyze the words and they look for word patterns and they would find that the word patterns were different with the person who the, the who the, was getting the kickback, who was getting the kickbacks and versus not. Oh, forensic linguistics. Big. Yeah. And wow. that blew me away. It was uh-huh. fascinating because we could just lay it out and you see, you know, 10 people, nine of them all have the same pattern, one different. And, and it was because they were talking about more personal things. I mean, mm-hmm. you can kind of see it, but then to have it numerically verified, uh-huh. for you, it, it was just, just incredible. And I, I think that area is fascinating. Isn't it though? So we yeah. do that. And then of course we interview everybody. I mean, if someone, if you're my subject mm-hmm. that I'm looking at, you're the last person I'm going to talk to. I've talked with anywhere from, you know, three to 60 people before I talk to you. Mm-hmm. I know what everybody else has said. And, you know, when people get called in, uh, they're, they're hesitant to tell the truth, like, yeah. you know, at first, but uh, eventually most of them do. So we, we know <laughs> by the time I call you in, we, we know, you know, what's going on. Well, let's talk about your interview tactics. Cause um, 
you know, me and you, we've, we've gotten to, we did happy hour, um, one day when I was in your neck of the woods, which, um, was super fun and, um, you're totally chill, totally kickback, totally non, like you're just a non-threatening guy. You're a big guy, but you're not a threatening guy. So tell me, how do you work your interviews, which might be different than maybe what law enforcement would do, or maybe, maybe there's some similarities there, but what's your style? What's your brand? Sure. Well, my brand is, uh, is exactly what you said is I'm here to do a job, but I'm not here to judge you. That's mm-hmm. what I want you to feel when you're mm-hmm. sitting across from me. I'm going to ask my questions, but I'm not here to embarrass you. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to bully you. If I tried to, you know, jump bad and play like a TV cop, you would fall off your chair laughing because that's not who I am. Uh-huh. Now, yeah, again, yeah. I worked with former law enforcement guys and I saw them turn that on occasionally. And it was absolutely fascinating to oh, watch. Yeah. And I'm like, I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. But, and, and it was just, I would say that theirs is more forceful and direct. And I come with more of an empathetic type approach mm-hmm. and I try to uh, befriend them as much as I can. And, and I do that too, because what a lot of people don't realize is what I, is something I just mentioned to you is I'll do 30, 40 interviews before I talk to the subject. Yeah. Those are two completely different interviews. Oh, when how so? To the witnesses, they're, they're not in any trouble. I mm-hmm. want them to be as calm as possible. They're, they're not in any trouble there. Mm-hmm. And I just need information from them. And so I, you know, I just handle them with kid gloves and I just have a conversation with them. I mean, that's all an interview is, is a conversation mm-hmm. with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get information in the way I do that is by being calm and, and just talking to them and mm-hmm. letting them know what we're doing. Uh, another thing, I will tell you one thing at the place I just came from is we do not ever lie during our interviews as investigators. Oh. We can never, ever lie. I, if you say, Hey, if you ask me a question, I may say, I can't tell you that right now, mm-hmm. but I won't lie to you about it. And so I think that's a fantastic policy because it does establish trust. And mm-hmm. I tell the people I'm interviewing, I will not lie to you during mm-hmm. this interview. And I expect the same from you. Can, can I, can I expect that from you? And I make them verbalize. Yes. Oh, that's a good I little way be to honest with you. Mm-hmm. And we do that at the beginning. So that they've said, and I will remind them later during the interview, if we start to go off course and they want to tell me a little story, I'll say, you remember, I've been honest with you this whole way through and you committed to be honest to me. You remember that, right? Uh And we'll bring it back. And uh, to that end, I have something that I use that I haven't seen any other investigators use. Oh, okay. It's called, and this is from my home. We developed this at home. Okay. Okay. It's called the do-over. Okay. And what that means is. I'm, I, I'm, I, I won't assume you've been in this situation, but I've been in the situation where I've been asked by my spouse or somebody important, something, and I mm-hmm. panic in the moment and I lie. I lie at the initial outset. Mm-hmm. And in our family, whether it's kids, adults, whoever, we have a rule that if you mm-hmm. come back to that person within a reasonable amount of time and mm-hmm. say, Hey, I need a do over. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. We allow that. And there's no harm, no foul, because, you know, sometimes people panic in the moment. Uh-huh, yeah. We all want to do the right thing. And we want to encourage the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I incorporated that in my interviews. When I get, I'm, I, I always take notes because I have to write up interview reports. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody starts lying to me a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'll do, and I know because I've investigated them for three months, I know yeah. what the right answers are. Uh-huh. I will draw two big lines. I'll, I'll get my handy pad of paper and mm-hmm. I'll draw two lines on it. And I'll say, and I'll put my pen down and I'll tell them, I don't think you're being honest with me. Mm -hmm. Now, if I feel that you're not honest with me, I'm going to have to put that in my report. 
And I don't mm-hmm. want to put that in my report because my job isn't here to get you to, to get you to lie or, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to say, I came in, I asked my questions. They told me the truth. So I'm going to give you a do over and everything above those two lines will disappear. No one will ever know. You told me that, oh. but you have to start being honest with me right now. Uh-huh. If you're honest with me right now, I will forget those other things you said, and I will tell them what you told me was the truth. And, and then I, and then I be quiet, give them a second to decide what they want to do. And then, and so then I'm very forgiving. I'm very Mm -hmm. empathetic. We'll go through it. But if you start lying to me again, then we're going to wrap up pretty quick. I'm going to say, look, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. I got what I need. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So what's the biggest lie you've ever heard? Oh, the biggest lie. Or the most interesting one. Uh, well, I, any of them are interesting as long as they keep talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, okay, here's some advice for the liars out there. If okay. you're interviewed and you need to lie, uh-huh. only tell the lies that you have to. Keep everything else. Uh, tell the truth as mm-hmm. much as you can and only change the minor, the specific things that you need to to make your mm-hmm. lie work. Mm-hmm. because th- that will give you the best chance of getting past me because then most of your answers will be true. But what happens is people make up these elaborate lies uh-huh. and they want, and you know, because they want to start telling you a story real quick. They want to start telling you everything. They don't want you to interrupt because they mm-hmm. memorize the story and they want to tell it to you. Don't interrupt them and let them go. Uh-huh. And they want to just blurt it all out. But then they've given you so many details, mm-hmm. so many details that they can never possibly remember. And then we're just going to go pick it apart piece by piece. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them talk. And then I'm going to go, okay. And we're going to go through their story piece by piece mm-hmm. by piece. And, and it'll fall apart. So if you're going to lie, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, well, liars do tell you more info than what you need for any story. So um, are you seeing more lies from the executives or more from like the cash cashiers and clerks and things like that? Um, I would say statistically, it's probably about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about the same. And I would say, interestingly, most people don't. Mm-hmm. Most people tell the truth, even the people who are in trouble. Because oh, really? a, lot of, a lot of times it was it was inadvertent. They would do mm-hmm. something. So say we're investigating somebody, uh, let's say somebody has a, uh, they work for a charity mm-hmm. outside of work and they're looking for a donation for an yeah. auction. So they go to one of our vendors, Hey, could you donate this? Uh-huh. You know, and it's something, you know, something insignificant, $30, let's say $50 mm-hmm. worth. And they say, okay, that's an ethics violation. You really? Because the vendor feels pressured to give you something because of their business relationship with you. Uh, and so that's something where maybe somebody didn't even think about, I'm sure that that was not their criminal intent to take down right. the world with a $50 donation, right? but it was. And so they'll just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is they did it. There is a policy. They were not aware of the policy and you know, that they'll get it back to the vendor or whatever, and, and mm-hmm. it gets fixed. So a lot of times it's inadvertent or it's something small, but most of the time people tell the truth. And even, even when they did it, I would say most of the time I got a confession mm-hmm. because I knew more than they did coming into the room. And, and you just get them to a point where the, there's nowhere to go. However, if you are going to lie, another tip, mm-hmm. never go back then. 
don't, don't, don't change your story. Right. It's hard it's, to remember the story. It is. When, when I'm showing you video, say, Tracy, this is you doing what I said you did. And you just say, well, I don't know. That was me. I don't know. I don't Doesn't know. look like me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember being in there that day. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you say that like you've heard it a million times. So, uh-huh. okay. Now, I know that you've done other investigations because there, there, there gets to be some like... Um, shootings and things like that at some of these um facilities and so and i mean i i know you've told me you're like yeah sometimes we were shooting and what do we do we go get on the jet and that's where we go so how is that uh different than like i mean it's going to be different than a shoplifting or than a than a kickback or whatever like what are you doing at that point and i mean unfortunately these shootings are on the rise and you have a very popular location for it so what do you what's the first thing you do when you get there well, the first thing you want to do is, is you want to talk to the, well, first thing we do is before we even get there, we've reviewed video. Okay. From, from the so you have it, it that if quick. There was videos. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I mean, we have it, we, we have it at our fingertips and the ability to get that. So we're, we're being updated on the way there because mm-hmm. when there's anything like that, the police are already involved and, right. and, you know, we work very closely hand in hand with the police. They're, they're mm-hmm. great partners to us and we're great partners to them in these and uh, the, the first thing is to interview all the witnesses, just mm-hmm. like with any other case. That's the first thing we got to understand what happened. We have to put all these stories together. And when you're dealing with people who are witnesses, as I'm sure you're aware, that they're imperfect. Well, that's the I mean, thing. Ten people watch the same thing and you get 10 different stories. Yeah. So once again, kind of like the linguistics analytics. Mm-hmm. You got to put it all together mm-hmm. and then see what are the common elements of the story. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, those are probably pretty tight. And then, you know, then we'll have to ferret out the outliers. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- that's the first thing to do is, is get that. And what we always want to do is, I mean, again, to the credit of the places I've been, the focus is on the well-being of everybody else. You know, mm-hmm. is, is it safe there? Is it, you know, do, do we have anything else we need to worry about? Were our associates involved in any way? Oh. We, are there things that we need to provide to the police to help mm-hmm. them? Or was it just, you know, customers who who, who got into something there? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, let's say something involved one of our asset protection people that's an incident happened as they were, you know, apprehending somebody in the store. Like who a security guard. Yeah. Right. What we're doing, too, is we're reading policies. Again, these are all they're all fall under ethics, of, you know, investigation. Mm-hmm. So we have to know what were their policies? What were they supposed to be doing? How were they supposed to handle it versus how did they handle it? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, it's the, there's a lot to be done really oh, quick. Yeah, well, there is. Okay, so you interview everybody. You're talking to security. And then, uh, like, the police are there. But what's the, how does, how do you weigh, like, okay, let them do their job versus we have stuff to take care of. And, like, are you looking for different info than what the police are? And oh, are you sharing? Uh, no, we, we're, we're working with them. I, I mean, we're working hand in hand. I mean, that we give them access to our things. You know, we, we cooperate. Mm-hmm. fully and you know i would say that it doesn't always go 100 percent back to us mm-hmm. because because they're looking at you know criminal prosecutions or whatever and they don't want to mess up their case and then that's fine but we're really there to just we're the, as an investigator what we're always there for is we're fact finders yeah. that's all we do i don't decide what happens to anybody mm-hmm. i don't decide the consequences or accountability i am just a fact finder and so in that regard every case is the same whether it's, you know, somebody stole a candy bar or somebody got shot, we're there 
to gather facts Mm -hmm. and give the other folks facts. And in this case, we're giving it, of course, to our leadership and our internally and the police. We're giving them all the facts that we can get. So, so your facts, because I'm trying to figure out, because obviously if someone's got shot, let's say there's something happened in the parking lot, right? And maybe, uh, maybe the security guard was involved, but maybe no employees were involved, or maybe uh, someone just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and mm-hmm. uh, got injured, like that kind of thing. So, so you're looking for what are y'all going to do internally as a result of this? So right. I imagine there's safety things go on and the, maybe people get fired. Maybe they don't like, do you ever like re- heard of them getting relocated to a different store or what, are, what are the, I guess, what, what could the fallout be from uh, uh, well, the information that you get like internally, assuming no one's uh, injured or, or dead or anything. Well, I know I, there can, the big thing is, you know, we're looking at our internal policies and procedures. Mm-hmm. I mean, this predates me, but I know, and, and I don't even know if it, I know it was in my industry, but at one point, uh, asset protection, people were allowed to follow people outside of the store, oh. you know, out mm-hmm. to their car. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know a lot of the policies that a lot of retailers now have changed since then, because what happened is they were following uh, an asset protection person was following someone out of the store and that person took the gun and put it under their shoulder under their armpit and shot back and ended up killing the officer Uh so as a result our policies changed to protect our associates as as, you know a a lot of places did um and like again i said that that predates my time there Mm -hmm. but that's the type of thing that happens it's like okay well this was a tragedy over stuff Mm -hmm. you know yeah so do I mean, are these people really putting their life on the line to protect these things? And, and we put policies in place to say, no, do not do not pursue somebody that way. But now now it's kind of gone to an extreme. I don't know if you've seen on the news lately, especially out in California, folks go in and droves. 20 people walk into Nordstrom, yeah. just put stuff under their arms. Don't bat an eyelash, turn around and walk out and leave. Yeah, right. Well, they were doing that down in Dallas at, at Kroger and uh, just walking out with a grocery cart of meat. Right. And, and so just... that's kind of the that's kind of then the result is uh-huh. and you pull back and say, OK, well, you can't aggressively, you know, uh, pursue shoplifters. Uh-huh. So the, as soon as the shoplifters find that out, they're off to the races. Oh, they yeah. they want to find out what your policies and what your limitations are so that they know how far they can push the store people and still get what they need. Well, I tell you, I was sitting in the parking lot of Kohl's. Uh, it's probably been a couple of years ago. And I watched a shoplifting uh, happen. And it was amazing to see uh, because for one, they were driving an Escalade. I, I, if you shoplift, I don't think you at least, I don't think you bought the Escalade. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, right. But then like nothing really happened. They ran out and it, it took the, like, you'd think the car would be running. Right. And they'd mm-hmm. be like, let's go. No, they started the car. They took their time. The, the, the uh, uh, girl, she had an armful of clothes with the hanger still on them. The siren thing was going off the alarm and someone kind of came to the door and looked and then they just kind of drove off. And I was like, okay, for one, why are you shoplifting at Kohl's? Like go somewhere better (laughs) if that's your plan. But yeah, it was, it was a lack of response. And I saw the same thing at Home Depot uh, before that. And I saw the clerk run like right to the edge of the door. And then this guy just ran out with, it was a big box of something. 
to mm-hmm. a waiting car around the corner. So yeah, th- I, there's got to be a happy medium with the policy, but it's not worth it for a TV or a chainsaw or whatever you're, uh, I mean, for, for someone's life. But, th- but then that brings us back to what does a security guard really do? Right. And, and, and so uh, I am here in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I'm very excited because our we're getting our King Supers back because the King Supers shooting, it was almost a year ago and they went in and they gutted the store and it's been closed and we've had to go to this store across town that's just a dump. Uh, I'm glad to have the groceries. It's not a great shopping experience. And so um, they have all these uh, guys standing there and they're just, I don't know if they're security guards or security monitors or what they're doing, but I'll tell you, it's not much (laughs) because my car got keyed in this King Supers parking lot. Uh, It was last year. And the security guy didn't even know what to do. I'm like, can you call the cops? What do you do? And he just kind of stood there and didn't know anything about what was. I'm like, what are you doing here? And so is it just to kind of scare people and put a presence or what's your take on that? Uh, My take is it's like a lock on your front door. Mm -hmm. It doesn't keep criminals out. It keeps honest people honest. Okay, I get it. If I want to go into your house and I decide I'm going in, I'm going in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but. You know, it, it's if your door's just cracked open, then an honest person might, and there's a wallet laying there, then that's tempting. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's just to show the presence and to, uh, you know, keep most people, most people honest. The people who are going to do it are going to do it and, and they're going to evolve and do it better every time they do it. Right, right. And you're the guy to help companies so that they are not experiencing that kind of loss to set themselves up just right, both with, um, you know, on the ground boots on the ground investigation stuff, but also like you're a numbers guy. So tell us, what are you up to now? How are you helping people? Cause it's, it's a new venture for you, but you've got the chops. So mm-hmm. tell us, what are you doing? Who are you going to work with? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm working with one company who just, uh, they're, they're a food manufacturer and they just mm-hmm. had a fire. And so I'm going to help them quantify their losses from Mm -hmm. that fire, their Mm -hmm. previous client. And uh, right now I have uh, somebody who's getting a divorce, needs their business valued (laughs) for for a divorce case. The wife and the husband are Mm -hmm. disputing the value of the business. So that's what I'm working on right now. But what I really want to do is I I want to focus on smaller businesses. I'm in Mm -hmm. a little bit smaller market now. And I really want... I want to lead them to water and make them drink Okay. because one of the hardest things about the fraud world is the big companies, they hire armies of people like me, you know, they put all the processes in place. The smaller the company gets, the harder it is for them to put Mm -hmm. all of the safety measures in place. So what I really want to do is is preach the gospel to the, my small businesses that you're not, you can't stop fraud. There's no Mm -hmm. such thing as fraud prevention. Right. It does not exist. What we're going for is fraud mitigation. Right. So what I want to do is work with small businesses, come do some fraud risk assessments for their type of business. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- where are the assets? Where is the money? How can it go out? Identify those key areas and then help them run some, you know, maybe whatever's appropriate statistical diagnostics or whatever to keep an eye on their business and, and uh, make sure that they're protected. 
Because to me, the real satisfaction in my entire career, in 30 years of my career, is working with the smaller businesses who don't get that kind of help. I mean, it's just a real satisfaction, but because it's an expense and with COVID going on Mm -hmm. and the financial pressures are everybody's on, it's really hard to get them to do it. But, and you know, I'm sure you agree that you tell the stories over and over and everybody nods and they're like, yeah, I know I should do that. I know I should. (laughs) And then they don't. Mm -hmm. And then they call me for another reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They call me on the back end. We got ripped off. We need to know how much it is. We got to make an insurance claim, which is great. But unfortunately that's what it takes to make them believers. So I'm going to get out there and beat my drum and try to get them folks looking at this on the front end. I just need to uh, figure out how to uh, productize my offerings into reasonable packages that folks want and move forward. And, but the, the great thing about the fraud is there's no lack of, uh, th- there's no lack of examples. To right. Even <laughs> in the local paper say, okay, yeah. well, they got taken for 70,000 last week. Why are you different? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I am glad that you're out there doing what you're doing. How can people get a hold of you? What's the best way? Uh, the best way is to probably send me an email and it's, it's just like my name. It's John at Hudson.com, J O H N at H U T S O N.com. And that's always the best way to get a hold of me. All right. Well, y'all know now how to get a hold of a real pro who's going to have an answer for just about every, every challenge that you may have. So you can keep your hard earned money. So John, thank you so much for coming on truth, lies and cover up. You are awesome. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.